pray over those in our congregation who are sick right now that you will bring quick healing. Lord, I pray for those who have been affected, who have family that they've lost, people that they love that are no longer with them. God, I pray for your comfort. Father, I pray this week as these people travel, as I travel, as we spend time with family and friends, that there will be, um, God, a joy, a joy that goes beyond our current situation, a joy that is bigger than our present circumstance. And I pray that we will see the opportunities that you have given us, Lord, to know you, to walk with you, and to trust you. Father, I thank you that we get to be your people, that you have put a claim on us, and that that claim is unbreakable, and that it is irreplaceable. You're a good God who loves your people well, and I pray that our hearts will align with that truth regardless of what may be taking place around us. Let us find our trust and our comfort in you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Ruth chapter 4. I would typically ask you to thank the band. You can just thank me for praying. But uh, we're in Ruth chapter 4 today. We've been walking through the series of Advent, looking at the story of, uh, of Ruth. Ruth, a Moabitess who returns home, Actually, not to a home. She returns home with Naomi. It is Naomi's home, the city of Bethlehem, after Naomi, her mother-in-law's husband, passes away, Ruth's husband passes away, and her sister-in-law, Orpah's husband, passes away. In chapter 1, as they're on their progression, there comes a point where Naomi looks at both of the daughter-in-laws who are from the foreign land of Moab, which is an idolatrous, wicked people. And she says, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Go home to your people. Orpah says, holla, and turns around and heads back to Moab. Ruth stays with her. It, she, the Bible actually says she clung to her. We've been progressing with them as Ruth has taken step after step after step. To provide for Naomi's everyday needs. To care for her. To present what the Bible calls has said. God's compassionate, deep kindness. His love. His sacrificial love. And as she has presented all of these things to her mother-in-law. God is providing a way for them to step away from their current climate. Which is that of barren widows. One of which is a foreigner. And God is providing a way for them to have hope. Uh, in Ruth chapter 3, we see Boaz go to the... Boaz is at the threshing floor, a place where wheat was uh, distributed. That's where everything is there together. And as Boaz is there, Ruth meets him in the night. They begin to have a conversation. Nothing inappropriate takes place based on the fact that we are reading that one, that he is a man of valor, she is a woman of virtue. And that's why we believe that nothing took place that was inappropriate, though inappropriate things took place on the threshing floor all, all of the time. As they're having their conversation, we begin to see as they're moving forward in this uh, relationship where, where Ruth is forward enough to look at Boaz, hey, why don't you marry me? And when he says that, she says this to him in not so many words, we see a plan goes into action. He sees something in Ruth that when he sees it, it, that's almost the trigger. That's the place where his affection for her, based on my reading of the text, really goes to the, to the next place. This deep affection based on what he sees in her. What he sees in her.
Now go with me to Ruth chapter 4. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. And then Boaz took ten men of this town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, but buy it back in the presence of those seated and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am the next one after you. I want to redeem it, the man answered. And then Boaz said, On that day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I cannot redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I cannot redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of the property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man, name on his property so this that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown you are witnesses today all the people who were at the city gate including the elders said we are witnesses may the lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah who together built the house of Israel may you be powerful in Ephrathath and your name well known in Bethlehem may your house become like the house of Perez and the son of Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the lord will give you by this young woman Boaz she, she took Ruth and said and she became his wife he slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said, "The women said to Naomi, "Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May His name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him." Naomi said, took the child, placed him on her lap. And she became his nanny. The, the, neighborhood, the neighbor women said, As soon as a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, or Salmon. I think it's pronounced Salmon when it's not a fish. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. How many of you remember high school? Anyone? I'm sorry that you're... Okay. Uh, maybe college. Uh, I can remember when, when I was in high school, there would be situations. I didn't have a girlfriend. 
But I would look at certain friends and I would see the relationships that they were in, the relationships that they, for whatever reason, could not get out of. And there would be times where I would notice when I look at this couple, you know, I, I can see that this person is dating this person, but I really wish they were dating this person. Sometimes that was me, but that's another story altogether. I, I can see that my friend so-and-so is dating that guy, but I really wish she was dating that guy. I can see that my friend is dating that girl, but I really wish he was dating that girl. It was the cafeteria table that we're all familiar with. You look around and you see things that your friendship with someone is affected because of the girl or the boy that they happen to be dating. Maybe that did not happen for you in high school. Maybe it happened in college. You see someone dating someone and you say, you know, I really wish they were just dating that person. But for whatever reason, they are aligned with this person right now. When we read the story of Ruth, we have a sense of that. Because when we open the passage, we see in chapter 3, at the end of the passage, Ruth goes to Boaz, as we mentioned earlier. And when she goes to Boaz, he said, there's someone else that's supposed to marry you and redeem your family. Or rather, someone else who's supposed to redeem your family. Someone else is supposed to be your kinsman redeemer. There's someone else who is supposed to make all of these things happen for you guys. So, we are there in the story. Ruth is in a relationship. Or Ruth is, her family is aligned with the person of whomever this person happens to be. And as we look through the text, we see four things happening. In verses 1 through 4, we see Boaz has a plan. 1 through 4, there is the plan. In verses 5 through 8, we see the plot twist. 5 through 8, we see the plot twist. In verses 9 through 17, we see that there is a party. I always like a party. And in verses 18 through 22, we see the people. One more time, socially distanced. In verses 1 through 4, we see the plan. In verses 5 through 8, we see the plot twist. In verses 9 through 17, we see the party. In verses 18 through 22, we see the people. The first thing that we see is the plan. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. That's how this stuff works. This is the very next morning. He's already met with Ruth at night. She said that she would like for him to be their family's redeemer and in so doing, marry her. Both of these things are not his responsibility, but he is willing to take them upon himself because he sees this picture of his said love when he looks at her. There is something that has happened when he looks at Ruth where his heart's affection is in some way turning toward her. I don't know if you remember when you were dating your spouse, the moment where you, it hit you, this is the person that I'm going to marry. Does anybody remember that? Anybody? If you don't remember that, I hope that your spouse isn't beside you right now. This is the person that I'm supposed to be with. And because it's usually something where you notice the way they treat someone else. You notice the way they handle situations. You notice the way they they, they deal with difficulties. You notice something about that person that elevates them to a different place for you. That's what seems to have happened for Boaz as we get to Ruth chapter 3. Chapter 4, he hurries to the city gate because he wants to meet with this other man. And in the words of Kanye West, Boaz is not just a businessman, he is a businessman. And we see that he is going to deal with this person correctly. Boaz went to the gate of the city and he sat down there, plopped down. That's in my head what happens. He just plops on a stump or a stool. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about, he came by. I guess he's just waiting... But this man on his way to the scriptural equivalent of a Starbucks, he sees him walk by and he says, hey, come sit down. 
The Bible's very clear that the man came and sat down. Here's what the Bible isn't clear about. It doesn't give the man a name. There's no name for this man in any way, shape, or form. It's a very generic name. It's the equivalent of what happened this morning when one of our families was in the room and the daughter looked at me, looked at her mother after she had looked at me and she said, Who that? It's a... Thank you so much. I've been here for three and a half years. All right. Who's that? It's the... Who's that guy? What's his name? It's for my Saints fans in the room. It's the... Who that? that? That's what we see here in the passage. That's what we have. This is this generic redeemer. He is the Sam's Choice redeemer of the passage. He is right there. The Kroger brand redeemer. Soon the family redeemer had spoken about... Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. Who's that? Sits down with Boaz. The, the Boaz, it says this in verse 2. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, you sit down. Boaz evidently has some pull. He's making everybody sit down. It's like Simon says, but with Boaz. Sit here. And they sat down. Now at this point in history, the idea, there were two really decision makers at play. If you're talking about political things, you're talking about the judges that we see in the book of Judges. If you're talking about familial situations, you have the town elders. The town elders sit down. They are there to help you move forward with a decision. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's returned from the territory of Moab, she's selling the portion of the field that belonged to her brother, to our brother Elimelech. The word brother is used generically. It's actually this relative of ours. She's selling her property, and the reason she's selling her property is she has to provide for herself because, remember, Ruth's having to go work the fields. She needs something to get her from day one to day two to day three to day four. She's going to sell her property. The rules were, in this kinsman-redeemer world, when she sells the property, she's got to sell it to the closest relative because the closest relative is supposed to eventually give it back to this family when there is an heir, what they call the year of Jubilee. It's where you return property to the original family to care for those who were in destitute situations, to not take away their dignity nor their value. She's selling her field because she needs to provide for herself. And I thought I would inform you Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you don't want to redeem it, tell me so that I'll know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I'm next after you. Look, the rules are that somebody has to redeem the land for this family who is impoverished. If you don't want to do it, I'll do it. I'll make sure that I take the land. Now, for this gentleman, this kinsman redeemer, this Sam's choice Boaz... He is in a good situation. Because, remember, you're going to give the land back to the family eventually when there's an heir who's full grown. But there's no heir for Naomi's family. There's no one to give the land back to. There's no one to bring this business decision full circle. There's no one that you have to return this property to. And for Sam's choice, Boaz, when he sits in this situation, he looks, and what he's going to do, if he buys this land with no strings attached, because Naomi just got to care for her for a few years, she will go on to be with Yahweh, and then that land belongs to his family, and he has uh, 
expanded his territory, so to speak. When we're praying misunderstood passages through the Psalms. This land will be his and his family will be all the better. As the kinsman redeemer, he is responsible to Naomi, but this land's going to be his. Guys, this is a shrewd business decision. And in the world they lived in, there's nothing negative or, or wrong about what he's going to He's doing something good for his family. He's caring for Naomi. If there's someone to give, a child, give the land back to, he'll definitely do that. But there's not going to be anyone. This is a good deal. A really good deal. This would be a great Shark Tank deal. So he says in verse 4, I'll take the land. I'll redeem the land. Then we see a plot twist. Because Boaz, as he sets the whole passage up, has built it so the man would take the land with no strings attached and says to the man, but there's something else. Because if you're going to play the part of the brother, you've got to play the part of the brother in full. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, On that day you buy the field from Naomi. You'll acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Now remember when Naomi came back with, with, when Ruth came back with Naomi. Naomi says, I've got nothing. There's this Moabitess daughter-in-law standing right beside her. How does that make you feel? I've got absolutely nothing. You're going to acquire her. There are a couple problems with that. Well, one is that you're going to marry someone who is a Moabite. That's negative for you. Number two, in the event that this person has a child, that land is going to go to you. Now, it's a big gamble because Ruth has not been able to have a child for ten years. But all of these things together, her, her background and her possibility of giving a child, this man looks and says, hey, at the point where it was just land, I was all in. But now that we're talking about lineage, I've got to get out of this. This is going to cost me. It's not just going to affect me. It's going to affect my family. It's going to affect us. What I had to provide for mine will no longer be in full because I've got to deal with this other family because there's an absolutely new line that's at play. And the Redeemer replies, I can't redeem it myself. I'll ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. If I take Ruth, it will ruin me. That's how the other redeemers work. When other redeemers take our problems, take our situations, take, take our baggage, if you will, upon themselves, they can't do anything with it. They don't end up redeeming. They end up getting, being ruined themselves. Now we're reminded of verse 7. This is a prequel. We know prequels. If you are unfamiliar with the prequel, think Rogue One. Uh, the Star Wars story. Think anything that tells you a story before the actual story. And the writer of Ruth lets us know that we're in a prequel situation because they're telling us what's happened before. They're letting us know that this happened a few years back. We know that because the genealogy, when they write everything out, they go through David. This is a throwback for us. It's a go back a while to know the story of Ruth and Naomi. To know the story of Obed and how Obed came to be. It's telling us this story from the beginning. It's letting us know what happened. 
we get that there's a historical reference point because it says in verse 7, at an earlier point in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding. I don't really... I can't visualize this. Instead of signing papers, you make somebody limp back awkwardly, just taking off your shoe and handing it over. I don't hand over sneakers that much. He gave the property in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption of the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. Remember, we're in Bethlehem. We're talking about a shoe exchange. This is B.C. Christmas shoes right here at play for us. What a terrible song, but I'm glad I can make a reference to it. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Here you go, here's my shoe. I don't know what you're going to do with my shoe. Why you need one shoe? Just buy back the property for yourself. You can do it, in the words of Rob Schneider. And we see Boaz celebrate. 9 through 17, we see there's a party that takes place. Because this isn't about land for Boaz, this is about love. This is is not simply about appraisal, it's about affection. This is God providing for him this person of Ruth and him being able to take things on himself that he doesn't have to. There's this huge party that's at play. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you're my witnesses, I can almost see his heart pounding faster. It's the conversation that I had with my mother-in-law and father-in-law now when they weren't my mother-in-law and mother-in-law and father-in-law and they told me that I could marry their daughter. It's this excitement. It's this, I can't believe that they're really agreeing to this. They probably can't believe that they agreed to it either in retrospect. It's Boaz calling everyone on the way home. Everyone he sees, he just holds up this stinky sandal from Sam's Choice Boaz and says, look what I've got. This means that I get to redeem Ruth. This means that the land is mine. But more importantly, I've got this person who's going to belong to me and I'm going to belong to her. That, that's what's taking place here. Redemption at play. You're my witnesses today that I'm buying from Naomi everything that belongs to Elimelech and Chilion and Malon. If I have acquired Ruth, if I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property, so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown, you're my witnesses today. And right here in the passage, we see this idea of God's affectionate, deep love, this has said love, not only at play in Ruth, who has put this all in motion as she met Boaz at night in the middle of a field. We see this in Boaz sacrificial, compassionate love, this giving love, this this different type of love. You're my witnesses today because Boaz is not benefit him in the least. Go to verse 10. I have acquired, or rather verse 9, you are my witnesses that I'm buying from Naomi, Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion. I've acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property. As this thing moves forward, Boaz is almost dismissed from the story. This isn't his property. The property goes back to Obed, to the family of Elimelech, so that his name will not disappear. This will not move Boaz's name forward in a sense. It's going to move the name forward of Elimelech and his family. This is all him making a sacrifice for the sake of someone else. Boaz said, this does not benefit me in the least, but I'm going to do it anyway. Think through this. This whole story starts with death, 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 death. 
the death of Elimelech, the death of Malon, the death of Kilion or Chilion or however you pronounce it. The consequences of death are not the responsibility of Boaz. But he takes those consequences. He takes the responsibility anyway. Redemption is not Boaz's responsibility. Boaz sees redeeming this as his reward. Redeeming us is not God's responsibility. Hear me, friends. You are responsible for your sin. I am responsible for my sin. It is not God's responsibility. The redemption that God offers us, he actually sees as reward. That's the word uh, similar to the word that's used. You were by nature, it tells us in Ephesians, objects of wrath. But now God sees you not simply as a redeemed object of wrath. The Bible actually says you are God's workmanship. One translation says you are the masterpiece of God. God's redemptive work is taking shattered things and making them whole. Taking broken things and making them beautiful. Taking things that were far and making them near. That's the story of God. And that's the story of God in the heart of every believer in this room. Redeeming you from your sin was not his responsibility. It was his reward because he cherishes you. He cares for you. He loves you. Has said, is this love, your neighbor as yourself, brand of living, an active, selfless, sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain, as one commentator says, of our human nature. I think this speaks to what we've seen through Ruth. Chapter 4 never uses the word said, but it's used in 1, it's used in 2, it's used in 3, and it's plastered all over 4. That God would redeem in this way. That God would make right what was wrong. Uh, Brennan Manning, he uh, says this, and I think it speaks to who we are as people who live in the Gulf and who like to eat shrimp. I do both of those things. You could more easily catch a hurricane in a shrimp net than you can understand the wild, relentless, passionate, uncompromising, pursuing love of God made present in the manger. God's love actively on display. You may think, Chad, I don't agree with Brenda Manning. Here's the thing, he didn't agree with you either. Possibly. One of my favorite theologians says this, all truth is God's truth. I love that. There's truth here. R.C. Sproul. Verse 11, we see the passage continue, and it says this, All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We're witnesses. They, they, their hearts beat with Boaz. They are celebrating what God has done. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathath and your name well known in Bethlehem. This is heart beating fast. Celebration of what God is doing in this story of Boaz. A story that doesn't even mention God that much, but he's all over it. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this woman. What a story. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. It says in verse 13, we see... And she, he slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her. Here, God's still working miracles. It's very clear. At the beginning, for ten years, she could not have children. And here, God does something miraculous. She gave birth to a son. And the women said to her, the women said to Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. Full circle. We come into the story, she's got no redeemer, and here she has one. May his name become well known in Israel. We'll get to that in a few moments. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. You're going to carry on. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. That phrase is significant. Because in the days of Ruth and Boaz, as we've seen walking through this together... Women don't matter. No one treats them like they matter. God is so different than all of the other gods. Naomi comes into this town and she says, I have nothing. A daughter-in-law in tow who is less than nothing. Naomi enters Bethlehem with what seems to be less than nothing. At the beginning of Ruth. And at the end we are told that Ruth is more valuable to her than seven sons. Seven matters. It's this idea of completion. She has done for you what could not be done. Redemption just resting here. She thought she had nothing. She actually had everything. How often do we look at what takes place around us and think to ourselves, I've got nothing. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm underpaid. I'm whatever. Missing the blessings that are right there in our midst. Ruth had done everything to provide for Naomi and make sure that death is not the end of Naomi's line. Reminding us of the words of her great, great, great to the 27th time great grandson Jesus. When he would say this, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. This story, the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus being told in the prequel of Ruth and in the prequel of David. Now these are the family records, it says, as we look at the people, the people in verses 18 through 22. These are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. I like Ram because he's easy to pronounce. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Ba Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. But I like the way that Matthew tells it better. It's all Bible. I just like Matthew's wording. Because Ma Matthew says it this way. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. The line of Elimelech's not been eliminated. And Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, and David fathered Solomon. And eventually we get whom? Dun, dun, dun. Gee, that's good. Jesus. We get to Jesus in this story because every story should take us to Jesus. All of these people have been telling us one story. They have been telling us the story of God. This is not the story of Obed. This is not the story of Ruth. This is not the story of Elimelech. This is not the story of Malon. This is not the story of Chilion. This is the story of God. God's story because God is doing kingdom building here. And we don't want to miss that. God builds his kingdoms with, with things that we would never think you could build a kingdom with. God builds his kingdom with things that have been thrown out. Ruth thrown out. God uses the overlooked and the undervalued of the world. He, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't look at the outward appearance, the grandson of Ruth will eventually say. He, he looks at the heart. We see that about David. 
For contrast, it's always helpful for us. So we, for as, body, as a body of believers, we do our best to look and see how God works in the days of the Bible and compare them to the days that we live in. And I believe that we should always do that. How is God active? What is God doing? Because what God was doing there, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he'll, His attitude towards things will be the same. But the opportunity that we overlook is to compare Yahweh that we see in the Bible to the world that was surrounding the writers of the Bible then. The rest of the world viewed women as little more than property. That does not matter to Yahweh because God builds His kingdom with them. The foreigners were hated, yet Yahweh includes a Canaanite woman whose name is Rahab and a Moabite woman named Ruth in the very line of the Messiah. In that world, money and power ruled everything. Yahweh uses the weak to shame the strong and the foolish to shame the wise. Tamar posed as a prostitute. Rahab was actually a prostitute. But she is also the mother of Boaz who cared for the Jewish men and gave them cover in the night when Canaan was looking for them. She had a heart for the foreigner. We see that in her grandson, Boaz. Ruth and Rehab were wicked, were from wicked enemies of Yahweh. But that did not matter. The wife of Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba, is a story at best of adultery, but many commentators believe it to be far more sinister. Mary was a virgin girl in a situation that anyone ever would question. But in all of these, we see God's said love on display. Because Hesed is this love of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Brand of living. Active, selfless, sacrificial, caring. That goes against the grain of everything that we live, according to Carolyn James. As believers in Jesus, let us not miss the gift that we have been given in the incarnation of Jesus. In Jesus, the far has become near. The distant has become close. God becomes man. And God says, I am with you. His name literally means God with us. And all the while, we end this story with Naomi, teaching us that it's okay to ask the hard questions of life. And it teaches us to come to this realization. The best question is not for me or for you to ask, is God on my side? The best question is to look at my display of said sacrificial, compassionate love and ask myself, am I living in a way that says that I'm on His? Because we're called to be God's people, putting God on display as our King in a kingdom of this world that does not understand Him. We are to be altogether unique because our God is altogether unique. I want to pray for us. Father, thank You so much that we can be in your word today I pray that we will be reminded of your good grace and that we will not only be reminded we will be reminders of your good grace that Jesus we will put you on display that we will be grateful for you thankful for you Father we are people who have been met by your deep said love let us not overlook it undersell it or miss it because you are good to us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together if you guys are okay with that.
to stand together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. Don't tell anybody I messed that up. I say it every single week. Hey guys, if we can follow up with you, let us know. Uh, GBCTX.org is the best place to do that. We love you guys. Um, When I get to the parking lot, I would love to hear you singing Joy to the World. You can carol me from out there. So, love y'all.